What if I told you that you could help solve the hospitality recruitment crisis with just £10? You'd say, shut up, take my money, wouldn't you? Well, that's exactly what a new initiative called Hospitality Rising is going to do. Between now and May the 12th, we are raising £5 million to fund the biggest hospitality recruitment advertising campaign that the UK and beyond has ever seen. We want to double the amount of people who would consider working in hospitality. Think army, be the best, but for hospitality. All we need from you is £10 per employee that you have in your business and together we can stop this recruitment crisis forever. Go to hospitalityrising.org now to find out how you can help today and don't forget to tell your HR team and your CEO. Supersonic! 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 Supersonic. Supersonic. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The rocket fuel podcast for food, drink and hospitality businesses everywhere. Listen up, tell all your friends and share with your colleagues. Every single episode is packed full of tips, tricks and advice on how you can make your brand boom. Hello, it's Adam here from Storekit. We're the easy mobile ordering system for ambitious operators. We love Mark so much that for podcast listeners, we've got a very special deal. If you head to storekit.com forward slash demo and quote supersonic in the form, you can get £50 donated to a hospitality charity of your choice. All you need to do is complete the demo and be a real business. So if you're experiencing trouble finding staff, if you want to boost premium orders, or if you just want to manage an outdoor area with the easiest possible system you can find, head to Storkit right now and check it out. A creative agency for the hospitality sector, Saved by Robots create compelling brands and memorable experiences through great design and engaging storytelling. From Scottish Restaurant of the Year Sugar Boat to Tip Jar, the digital tipping platform that's taken over the world, Saved by Robots excel at bringing ideas to life. As well as developing new concepts and refreshing existing brands, the robots provide outsourced graphic design to help multi-site operators grow with confidence. Check out their work and get in touch at savedbyrobots.com. So it's Saturday morning and it's reasonably early, so not too much of a lie-in but feeling a little bit jaded, a little bit hungover. I had the best night last night. I was out at a great pub and it was really busy and things just started to feel all right and just normal. And it was the Maris and Otter, which has just opened on one of the high streets here in Brighton. It's a Harvey's pub and I've just been enjoying going there the last few nights. And what's been so great to see is the GM there is just phenomenal. So his name's Pete. I was in for the second night in a short amount of time and he bowled over to me like I was his long lost brother or something. It was brilliant to see where he was just welcoming someone that he'd recognised and also giving old school generous hospitality where he was handing round samples of this sort of spiced fries, spiced chips. Uh, that everyone was really enjoying, everyone was really blown away with it. So on that note, today's guest is everything to do with pubs and beer, and it is the incredible CEO of the BBPA, who is 
Emma McClarkin. I've just got to know Emma recently through the Hospitality Rising project, but I've always enjoyed when we've been having chats and she really is a true force of nature for speaking out positively, not only about pubs and beer, but also music and cricket and rugby and all of the things that she loves in life. Really enjoyed talking to Emma and also just seeing the passion and the enthusiasm for everything that she does. So it gives me the most superstar CEO pleasure ever to introduce my next guest, who's a new friend and new friend of the show as well, who is the incredible, superb Emma McClarkin. Hello. Great to hear from you, Mark. <laughs> that intro. Well, you know, you've got to build it up, haven't you? Um, so that's great. I'm so thankful that you've given up the time because um, I know you're so busy um, just to have a wee chat on, on the podcast. But we've been sort of getting to know each other a little bit over the last few months um, and, and feeling really lucky to do so through Hospitality Rising um, and, and the support you've been given to that and the, the help and the guidance, which has just been great. So we'll get to hook up properly in real life. I think we've had a quick passing at Peach and then that was about it. So, <laughs> so that was it. So how's your day going today? What's happening? Has it been a bit crazy or what's what's going on? Listen, there's no such thing as a quiet start to the year anymore. Mm. Uh, certainly not for hospitality at this moment in time, but things look like they're moving in the right direction. But that always means new challenges for us. So, um, yeah, it's been a busy a busy day, but I'm looking forward to a, a bright and sunny weekend catching up. Yeah. Oh, nice. Well, you'll be pleased in a way that um, last night I was uh, putting my money into the pub industry through drinking beer. Um, so yeah, I'm slightly I'm slightly over it now, but I was a little bit hungover this morning. So there's a Thank nice... See you again. <laughs> well, we've, um, there's a new, lovely new pub called the Maris and Otter has just opened. It's a Harvey's pub uh, just on my wee high street in Brighton, just up there. And it's absolutely fabulous. And I've realised I'm, I'm getting, not old, but slightly older, where it's just quality, comfy, nicely done. You know... So many things in Brighton are just like hipster beyond belief. And sometimes you just want a nice place to go. Yeah, you can't beat a pint of Harvey's oh, either. It was it's amazing. Not in Sussex. <laughs> yeah, well, so there was a couple of Sussex pints. And then I went on to White Rioja, which was delicious. That was absolutely phenomenal. But um, yeah, so I had one for the road too. There is an actual neon sign in the pub that says one for the road. And I just kept looking at that and kept, uh, kept going. Yeah, was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the inevitable car crash later on. Um, so there we go. But anyway, I thought you'd be pleased about that. So in terms of you, I mean, obviously I've just gotten to know you lately and I know you and your current guys, right? So I don't know your past lives and all these amazing other things that you've done. And then when I was doing the research for having a chat with you, I just was like, oh my goodness, like you've just had such an amazing career like already you know even before bbpa so it would be great to talk about that and just see how you've got to where you've got to and, and what's going on and then we can chat a wee bit about bbpa and, and find out a bit more about that definitely yeah no i've been incredibly lucky in my career to work in all things that i am passionate about in my life and um, I'm still a relative newbie, and I think I will be for many years to come in hospitality and knowing how long some people have been in the industry. But um, now I've had a really varied career. So I, um, I'm from Gloucestershire. I'm a Gloucester rugby fan. I, I've always been passionate about rugby, and I spent some time working with the RFU, doing their government relations, bidding on World Cups and bringing the Women's Rugby World Cup and the Men's Rugby World Cup 
to uh, the UK. Um, so that was phenomenal. Um, and then, obviously, I had my love for politics. So I served as a, a member of European Parliament representing the East Midlands for 10 years and uh, getting involved in all sorts of different things, from international trade to cybercrime, um, yeah. artificial intelligence, but representing on sport, um, music, but also on um, food and drink. Uh, and so I was always known uh, to the industry uh, as the vice president of the beer club in the European Parliament, no less. Oh. So, um, yeah, when the opportunity was coming up and they were looking for a new CEO, it was, it was a good fit for me to come in. But I'm really chuffed I get to also have um, non-exec positions in areas I'm still passionate about. So I'm a, a non-exec director for the Ivers Academy that hosts the Ivor Novello Awards, uh, representing songwriters and composers. So yep. I still keep music on the go. And um, also down in Hampshire Cricket, where um, I, I, I'm helping the stadium with their new strategy. So um, I keep all my passion spending all the time. And now working in beer and pubs, it's just uh, a perfect fit. It's just so great to hear, you know, because you hear so many people talking about you know, do what you love and you wouldn't work a day in your life and, and that kind of thing. But you're truly doing it, you know, and there's so many people that say they want to do it or they'll try and do it, but it feels like you've had a plan. You've kind of said, I'm, I love all these things and I'm going to make it my working life too. It's, it's like quite incredible yeah. how you did it. It, it. it looks like it was planned, but it really is just, I think if you embody the passion that you feel for something, you yeah. know, it, you'll be drawn to it and people will be drawn to you in the same way. Um, and uh, I think I'm just known for being an extremely passionate advocate for, yeah. for, for everything that I, I work with. Um, and I, I have to feel that 100% about it. Um, but it, it does become a pleasure. It's been a challenge, I have to say, over the last sure. two years. But you know what? We, you put in even more effort because mm. you genuinely love it. Yeah. You know, and you, really feel for what you're fighting for yeah. so I'm extremely lucky that I've had that opportunity and I continue to and what about um you know the MEP stuff so were you were you like living in Brussels or did you travel or how, how did all that work um I I was like triangulating between Brussels and the UK and in Strasbourg because we'd have to move there for a week every month so um I, I did have a house in Brussels I spent a lot of time in Europe and traveling the world um it was a phenomenal experience it really was um but obviously being a politician understanding how politics works not only um over overseas but also back here in the UK is all come to the fore mm -hmm. so when I was transiting into my new role as CEO I was like okay can I translate my experience but it came in extremely handy very quickly as we entered into the pandemic where I went from speaking to politicians day in day out to doing that in the role for the British Beer and Pub Association in representing the industry throughout the crisis so um, some of those strengths I still carry through and some of those connections and contacts as well, yeah. definitely. And how did that work then, you know, like, because you were seeing you everywhere, you know, on TV and radio and all these things, like, how did you ever, like, get a break, manage to switch off? Because it must have been highly stressful when you've got the pressure of you doing your job, you've got the pressure of the members who are expecting you to be able to get things to change. Like, it's not for the faint-hearted, like, so how, how did you managed to pack all that in because it just seemed relentless um adrenaline i think adrenaline uh, right. going passion adrenaline um just kind of politics and sort of the changing priorities in the shifting landscape um and that's being all politically played out was was really helpful in sort of maintaining that stamina that you need to keep up mm. to keep following the news to keep understanding how it's going to alter 
your your day um and but yeah it was it was exhausting and then we were also in a lockdown scenario so it was all happening with the context of my own house yeah so um uh, you know very patient um people around me uh, putting up with me helping me film videos and do all sorts but yeah it was it was great to get that media coverage to get that exposure to have that voice and the media never really got tired of telling the story about yeah. our beer and pub um, so it, it was phenomenal. But there was one day I remember I stopped counting when I'd done 13 interviews in one day. And I thought, wow, you know, this this is real media training. And I probably did more media um, in the first year of the pandemic than I probably did in at least five years of service as a politician. And, and that's a lot. And what about PR then? Have you got in-house PR or have you got an agency or a bit of both? Or how does that work? We have an in-house team so um, at the BBPA, and so really, really proud of what we've been able to achieve, you know, um, and to maintain that exposure and the level of coverage that we got. It was just phenomenal. Yeah. And um, getting the material, you know, I have, I'm really lucky. I mean, hospitality is fantastic, but beer and pubs, it's just the best material. It's so emotionally connected. Everybody in the UK feels that way about it. Mm-hmm. And the, the media, they have a love-hate relationship with us because they, they fall in love with us. And the minute we opened our doors, they would be trying to shoot us down, but yeah. welcome to the British press. But it was, it, was, it was great. We did a phenomenal job in trying to find new hooks, new angles, uh, new head lines every day um so yeah we we were really really chuffed with that and of course we've got a phenomenal campaign that helped bang the drum for us and along with the local as well yeah so we'll definitely touch on that just before we go into bbpa stuff my first love is music right that's my absolute passion um so working in a record shop when i was a kid and and bands and my first job was with nme and loaded and, and all these types of things so the ivers when that was written you know uh and 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 some of the questions i was like Right. Okay. This is exciting. So, tell us about that. Like, you know, what's what's the sort of the the angle there? How does it work? You know, what what's your role in that? You know. So, um, I'm I'm the daughter of a musician. My father was a drummer in a in a band in the seventies. Which one? And, which one? Um, which uh, in Scotland they were called Panache. And, okay. Uh, they did a reunion gig uh, some years ago, and it was sold out two nights in a row. It was phenomenal. Great. Um, you know, so I was always brought up with music. Um, trying to learn to be a musician, sadly, not living up to expectations. But um, my love for music was there and, you know, taught the Basca as it was then and now Ivers Academy and getting at Ivan Novello was like the absolute, you know, uh, golden top prize in the music industry. Um, And so when I I was always passionate about music in in Europe and as a member of European Parliament, they had the Friends of Music group. We, We talked an awful lot about copyright. There was a big copyright directive that was going through, so I was a big champion for that. Um, to help our songwriters and composers make sure that they had the protections and the, the remuneration mm. um, that comes back from from the things that they create. And, uh, you know, I just love music. In It's just such a joy to be part of something, a very different sector, but one that is also something that I'm very passionate about. And did you did you come across Chris Hawkins when you were uh, doing the Ivor Nova? No, Chris, uh, I think he was a... Oh, no, I've got this mixed up, you know. Uh, he, he was an ambassador for... He's a radio DJ on, on Six Music, um, and he uh, it was it was Nordoff Robbins got it mixed up, but I think that he did some some event with the Ivers, I'm sure. But yeah, they he's do great stuff. absolutely yeah. great stuff with Nordoff Robbins, and uh, we do lots of collaborative stuff um, with the Ivers Academy. Um, so it, it is a phenomenal thing to be part of, and yeah. just the huge prowess that we have. Um, and reputation in British music, we really need to be um, championing it more. And of course, most musicians 
um, uh, have their first gig in a pub. True. In a local pub. So True. Um, throughout the crisis, we were actually working closely together because you remember in Scotland, mm. music was banned <laughs> and uh, yeah. live events cancelled. And that was additional revenue and, um, you know, an offer that we couldn't put on for our customers that they were used to. You know, that would be your normal Friday, Saturday night and people were stopped from, from allowing that to happen. So, we, you know, we're still working together to create those spaces where we can have live music that is such a big attraction for people to keep coming in um, to the pubs as well. So um, the, everything goes around, everything's connected. Yeah. In some way, that's a really cool thing. I've just, you know, funnily enough, I've never connected the two. That's such a cool spot. And do you know, funnily enough, uh, I was walking past it the other day, I was in Brighton, and there's a, a Lanes pub called the Hope and Ruin. And it used to be called the Lift Club, maybe something like that. Anyway, upstairs is a phenomenal little space for gigs and all that. But a poster was put up on social and it said, 21 years ago today, the Strokes played here their first um, UK gig. And it was just like, okay. so I just seen this Lift Club Brighton. So I started like researching and it was like, oh, Lift Club's now Hope and Ruin. And it was just like, I've been in that room, but not seen the strokes. Yeah. But oh my God, I, can I you imagine? 21 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was two, yeah, 2001, they were, they were sort of coming around, I wasn't it? They were the hot new things. Mm. Yeah, this is kind of crazy. But yeah, it is, it is true. Yeah. And most people will say that. And, you know, we've got um, a lot of musicians who, Ed Sheeran's got his own pub in his house. Yeah, um, that's true. He probably can't go anywhere. <laughs> he probably can't get out. And just stay on music just for a wee sec, because I'm just really curious. It's really interesting. Um, what about you in terms of, like, what you like? Are you, you got, like, a kind of bent? Is there something, like, you're really into more than anything else? Because for me, like, I'm stuck in the 90s, obviously. But, um, <laughs> you know, is there anything for you? Like, what are you what are you really uh, into? No, I'm, I'm, I'm super eclectic yeah, in yeah. my taste. Um, so I've got uh, The Killer's concert yep. which hopefully is going ahead this is the third time they've rescheduled that, that where is it Hyde Park no it's actually going to be down at St Mary's in Southampton oh football club so wow um, so it'll be interesting yeah to go down there as well and see that gig happen so I, I really love everything and I've met some incredible people through uh, my time with the Ivers Academy as well but yeah. a huge fan of Niall Rogers yep. and the Cheek and I got to meet the man himself wow. um, last year so it was just incredible and introduced me to my father who's oh, yeah. his career since the 70s so it's just been fantastic to be able to do that and share it. That's amazing. Right, this is another podcast we're going to do, right? We'll, we'll, do, we'll do a music <laughs> one uh, at some point. So cricket... I'm not so good on being Scottish. We don't really understand the rules. It's a bit complicated for us a lot. Um, and uh, and obviously, you know, the rugby stuff's, you know, obviously a big deal up the road. Um, so that's great. Well, just going on to BBPA then. So just for anyone that doesn't know that's listening, you know, what is it? What does it do? What does it stand for? How does it help people? You know, that kind of thing. It'd be interesting to find out. So the British Beer and Pub Association uh, represents about 90% of all the beer sold in the UK. And I represent over 20,000 of our pubs as well. So it, we're a big deal. Um, and we're a trade association that supports our members and strengthens their voice so that it cuts through uh, and makes sure that they are heard at a national level. But we have um, also the Scottish Beer and Pub Association as well as the Welsh Beer and Pub Association to make sure that we've got engagement with devolved administrations as well. Um, and our job is really to ensure the best um, environment for businesses to trade um, in beer and pubs. So supporting our brewers, supporting our pubs and creating the, the best conditions for them to thrive. Yeah. And then just in terms of your role though, what's sort of expected for you? You know, what 
what does good look like in terms of the end of a year for you in terms of succeeding as being the CEO of it all? Yeah, I mean, for me, I have to lead my team, my mighty, fantastic team of experts um, uh, through the pandemic. So we've been in full crisis management, I have to say. So I don't know what normal time really looks like. (laughs) Mark, I only started in November 2019. So it's quite the baptism of fire for me. But my job is to lead that team, to connect with the members, the other uh, representatives of the sector, to work with other trade bodies, to collaborate, find those collaborations, but really to be the voice, be the ambassador for Mm. the sector to be the representative that's there interfacing with government and making sure that we are maintaining a high profile for our sector and for our pubs and our brewers and making sure that we're connecting with our local communities. And they do that fantastically, but making sure the politicians remember that as well. Yeah. And how, I mean, this is just another world for me, you know, like, it, you know, in terms of you meeting you know, actual politicians that you see on the telly and these kind of things. So how do you, you know, in your typical week then, um, I know it's not been that typical lately, but you know what percentage of those is you working with the team, working with you know brewers and, and and you know pub owners, and also being in government and things you know actually meeting with, and and who do you meet with? Is it like Michael Gove or you know how, how does that all work? Um, well, you know you're right. There is no one such thing as a, a typical week. It's pretty full on. I have to say, I have a check in every day with my team to make sure that we're all on top of our priorities. But, you know, it could be on the Hospitality Sector Council, on which I sit, uh, working with the Hospitality and Tourism Skills Board, talking about the recruitment and retention piece that we have for getting the right people on board with the right skills to support our sector through recovery and into sustainable growth. It could be, um, as it was, as everybody else is winding down in the week before Christmas, I'm not. I'm on the phone to the Chancellor at, at late at night, first thing in the morning, trying to hammer out a billion-pound deal for hospitality. Wow. Um, so... Uh, you know, it's something that we happen. So we'll have very high pressured moments where, you know, it could be um, talking to, to Rishi or it could be um, with the tourism uh, minister, Nigel Huddleston, working very closely with Paul Scully, mm. who is our de facto hospitality minister. But yeah, it, it will be go when it comes to levelling up. Um, and we'll get the access as and when the government wish to do it sometimes, but we do have an awful lot of exposure to it. And in the lead up to the budgets that come, of course, that accelerates and we'll be having lots of conversations with Treasury. So they're very high level. There is a lot of technical work that is also done, though. There's other things that impact the sector that people don't hear about, see about mm. calorie labelling, for example, that's being introduced later this year. It's going to add huge complication and and cost to businesses at a time that they're still struggling to see if they're going to be able to survive so there are loads of other plates that we have to spin you know the sustainability piece the diversity piece um so all of that fills my day and then i do some podcasts occasionally <laughs> now and again yeah yeah Un- unpaid i hasten to add <laughs> the check's not in the post um but yeah it's a nightmare and i remember we when i was at yo sushi you know we were one of the first i think to do calorie labeling on the menus you know and see the amount of time that took up and the cost and the oh my god it was like a six-month project you know and sometimes I think, we're know, interfacing about legislation and things that are happening most of the time it's asking can we have more time mm. is it the right thing can you not do that but it's mainly about making sure we're getting fair taxation um that we're getting the right business rates that we're still getting the a discount on our vat and locking that in for the long term but it can be as you say like working on advertising yeah. or descriptors of non-alcoholic products. I mean, there are so many different elements of what we do because the BBPA really balances 
not only the pub codes, but also our brewers. And the, as producers, there's an awful lot of other things that we have to do and deal with DEFRA um, and other departments, for example. So it really, really changes. And then, of course, if there's some news that breaks out, yeah. then everything that I had in my schedule we, will be wiped away. And it might be me on the phone with several journalists trying to sort out a situation um, and react to that. But um, we have to be extremely agile. Um, but you just have to really have a vision, have some stamina, and make sure that you're maintaining your presence and representation. So you're cutting through the noise, and that's the most important thing as CEO. I think also, you know, the jeopardy that's there too, you know, like it's such a high wire act with constant, you know, especially in the last little while, people in the media and saying things, you know, like, you never worry, like you slip up or you say the wrong thing or anything like that or is it just you know you've you've, you've got it nailed you've got the confidence you, you just kind of go for it like I'd always be terrified I think yeah I, I'm really lucky because as a politician I had a lot of media training I've done a lot of these things and you know journalists trying to trip you up even with Jeremy Paxton I've done that too so you, oh, you're always like aware of like what's going on yeah. um, um, so yeah, it's difficult. You've always got to stay on message, Mark. It's just whatever question that they've come to ask you, you've come to say your your story, and you whatever question they ask you, you find a way to get it in, and yeah. that's that, that's rude of game. But there are certain journalists now that <laughs> to say I, I I I don't enjoy as much. <laughs> yeah. Just see their name, you're like, oh god, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, and also like you know, just a slightly personal question is. You, as a CEO as well, you know, it can get lonely, right? You know, you've got a lot of responsibility. You've got all the members. You've got the media. You've got a lot of things going on. So, you know, where's your support network? You know, is, is it in other trade bodies? Is it is it other CEOs in the industry? Or, you know, and, and also how do you sort of top that up? You know, that shield that you have to have to, to be the CEO? How does that work? Yeah, I, I do really feel for other people's in leadership positions such as CEOs because they you know it is difficult and throughout the crisis I felt very much you know um, that they could turn to me um, as a CEO of the trade association and that was great because then I in turn could share my um, pressures uh, uh, and concerns as well which is great but it is it is lonely at the yeah. top they always say that and it is true but we have had such a great working relationship with UK Hospitality and also the, the British Institute of Inkeeping. And great, great pressure on us, great expectations, of course, to represent our members the very, very best we can. And I'm extraordinarily proud of what we have achieved at the BBPA, but also collectively together. So, yeah, you have to find people to lean on, but it, it is a lot. It is a lot resting on your shoulders. And so you just always have to say, you know, I've done the very best I can do. If the outcome isn't exactly what I wanted, I'll be upset and disappointed. But I can't say that the effort wasn't there. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's all any of us can do. I mean, whatever role that we have, yeah. just know that you did everything that you could. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I always, I just always have that question rolling in my head, you know, the who watches the Watchmen sort of thing, you know, from, from the movie a little bit, you know, it's like one of those, um, but no, I always, I always find it interesting. As a chief exec of um, the British Brewing Pub Association, on the days when I'm feeling a little bit down, my members would be very sweet and it would be very, the, the bell would go and another little delivery of beer would arrive for me. So there's little tricks <laughs> to my job. There you go. Yeah, just yeah. to keep me going, keep me incentivized, uh, um, and help me unwind at the end of the day. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's not too bad. So let's talk about long live the local. So you are, you've broken the ground in terms of trailblazing and doing the thing that we're actually trying to do with hospitality rising, albeit slightly a very different thing. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, tell us about that. You know, it just seems such a a huge noise and huge campaign that 
you know, has really yeah. caught the attention of the industry? We, we are um, extremely uh, lucky at the BBPA that we have had just an extremely successful brand that's now turned into, you know, that is Long Live the Local. Long Live the Local is phenomenal. It's been running for about eight years. It's ch- turned in, and changed its uh, campaign in, in different iterations, but it is an extraordinarily um, uh, successful campaign, a consumer-led campaign, which is also significant um, and something that has achieved great, great success in terms of duty cuts for beer over years. It also helped us with uh, an extension of business rates relief at the last uh, at the last budget. And, uh, you know, it saved the industry hundreds of millions, if not billions of pounds. So this is something that we know really works, but it works because we really appeal to the heartstrings of people. Um, and people are really, really important in everything that we do in our industry and our consumers have a great love for what we deliver as well so we have a great material that i but we've got this amazing coordinated plan um for the campaign and, and how we generate those hundreds of thousands of signatures mm. letters you know thousands of emails to mps we are the um the strongest campaign that they receive in in the house of commons um and that is something that gets us the attention when we need it and that's why i believe that we've had the success to date that we have had so if you haven't seen long with the local yet come and check us out or sign and support up to save the great british pub and our great british brewers yeah i'll definitely put it in the podcast notes as well and, and people can have a wee look and in terms of the creative and, and the campaign is that in-house or are you working with agencies to deploy all that and you know what have you seen from the, you know, the marketing that goes out, the channels, you know, that sort of jazz? How's, how's all that working? Yeah, well, we worked with um, consultants that we had in-house, but now we've brought the campaign in-house to the BBPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've had a phenomenal success with that. Um, and uh, we do work with agencies as well uh, and coordinate that. And I think that you've got to pick the right agencies. You've got to make sure that you're updating your message because long as the local has been in operation for a long time it's an incredibly strong brand but you still need to know that it's connecting with the people that you need it to connect with mm. so is the message still being received in the right way by the people that are going to take action on this and and we're lucky that we uh, always continually challenge ourselves and also the agencies to say hey are you really still connecting yeah. are we really still getting there and are we getting value for money funded by um uh, the, the industry yeah. and this is something that we have to you know make sure that we get the best value for our members but we've certainly given them their bang for buck over the years that's for sure so in terms of long live the local i was just really interested from a marketing point of view was there a point where every year you say right we've done the job or is there a main kpi or you know how, how do you know it's been successful you know from that point of view um, so we always have uh, a petition that we uh, gather signatures for, and the, the formula had been to then present those at number 10. Um, and we had used and worked with uh, close collaboration and partnership with Jodie Kidd, who actually owns her own pub. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she has been helping us um, with the campaign. So she was also helping us get lots of media coverage. Um, on the back of the the level of signatures that we'd uh, achieved. But it does generate these emails to politicians directly filling their inboxes so they cannot get away from the fact that their own constituents, that's how it's driven, um, are very concerned about the issue about pubs and particularly um, brewers and uh, fair taxation uh, for them. So um, it really is something that we have to... uh, review because we've had to do this campaign for example several times because we used to have a budget once a year and we could 
tee up for an annual. And we had to then review those cycles, you know, um, as they had two budgets in one year. We've actually had three fiscal statements in the last 18 months and we're probably going to get another one later this year as well. So um, you have to keep rethinking, can I keep making this ask the same people? Are they going to respond in the same way? And we have been really lucky that actually in whatever iteration of the campaign we've had, we've still had a phenomenal response. But yeah, looking at what works best for you, you know, Facebook have changed their rules, for example. So, you know, Twitter, you can't pay to put your campaign on them anymore. So if it's got a political element to it. So then you rely on things like influencers or other people to put the message out there um, and sort of looking at different formats, social media, different demographics, different people, where are they today? And, um, you know, it will, it will change in the future. We'll all have to be looking at making sure our campaigns are on TikTok and yeah. that we're as current as we possibly can and that we're still able to communicate in the same way. That's why it's so important that we always stay on the, the cutting edge of where you are. You can't rest on your laurels. So even though we've had a very, uh, you know, long series of years of success, we're always, you're, you know, you're as good as your last campaign. In many ways. Oh yeah, I know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've I've left companies because of that before. No, not really. <laughs> um, but yeah, I will. TikTok, great point. I mean, uh, amazing stats last year, which is it's now you know the the most popular website in the world, um, and that was since February last year, which is incredible to think. I mean, more than Google, more than all of it. You know, unbelievable. Um, and also just the the age groups, you know, starting to edge up a bit as well. You know, because COVID has brought parents and children, for example, together to sharing what it is, you know. But I was laughing last night, one of my, my mates was, was posting about Facebook shares went down by quite a bit yesterday. And it's a long-term game, you know. But it, it, I think it, it dipped, their daily users had dipped by 1 million. But they've got 1.9 billion daily users. And I was thinking, I don't think that's a huge one. Like today, I don't. I mean, unless it's going to be a trend. But I was like... One million, yeah, that doesn't feel that bad. <laughs> but um, yeah. um, and also, you know, they've got all the rest of them. We've got WhatsApp and Instagram and all these things together. But also, what was interesting me was um, the B two B marketing side of things, right? Because without the members and the membership and all that stuff, then you know it's hard to you know have an organisation, I suppose. So how do you go about that sort of year on year and keep people coming back for more and, and things like that? Because you know that's a that's a really tall order, you know, to keep making that happen. Yeah, I think um, you have to really uh, underline the return on investment. And when you achieve duty freezes or even duty cuts as the campaign has over the years, or even as it has been on on extension of business rates relief, um, you can quantify that financially. Yeah. And um, that makes a real difference to the sector. Of course, it's always maintaining how um, it is a priority sector as well. And so they want to make sure that our voice is not drowned out by other sectors. And that is something that we all have to commit to. Um, and, but you do have to come with the bottom line on this. You know, if I invest X in you, what are you going to give me? And we have to come up with something year on year. I'm very grateful that we have been able to do that. And we've got more people supporting the campaign along with the local now than we ever have before because there's recognition of that return of investment. And, um, you know, but we're lucky that we have indicators that we can benchmark in that way. If you're looking at doing campaigns in other areas, even if it's just about um, the promotion of return to the industry, they're much harder for actually moving the dial or to show how you've benchmarked the success of that. So, um, you know, we really need to then find other other ways that we can um, say that the return on investment has been proven and look for different indicators. 
So that will be a challenge for us as we move forward with our different campaigns. But it, um, we always just need to make sure that the message connects. And if you've got a message that connects, it's recognised by people, recognised even by your competitors in other sectors, yeah. then I think that that is something to be proud of too. And also with, uh, you know, the change in the guard every year as well, are you seeing a much younger sort of membership base or is it still quite mixed or what are you seeing? And then that might create some different needs for, for members as well. Yeah, so we're, we're getting a lot of the younger people through the Instagram now mm. that are coming through joining the campaign. We still get a lot of people actually that join the campaign through Facebook. I don't think I'm sharing anything that isn't there. They're slightly older demographic that are on Facebook mm. now, so maybe it's not the young people there, but there's still a huge different demographic that are using Facebook. And um, and so, you know, there are different, different people that will always appeal to. Um, there's people that get our arguments that love the pub, and so it's the percentage of the population that love the pub, but also believe in fair taxation um, and want to see that happen uh, as well. So, yeah, we have to keep finding ways to connect with the next generation and making sure that we can bring them on our journey with us as well and that they feel that they're buying into us. Mm -hmm. um, but I hope that they do. Our young people are certainly helping us lead our recovery when it comes to the industry being back open trading again. Yeah. And then just thinking about the last two years then, I know we've, we've touched on it a little bit, but, you know, what were your sort of learnings really for, for you, for your organisation, for your members with with COVID? And, you know, hope to God we're, we're getting to, you know, nearly post-COVID, but, you know, well, let's see how we get on, or at least a much milder version. But, yeah, I mean, what did you see over the last two years? What were your big takeouts of it? Um, we've learned to be incredibly agile and uh, to be able to move and flex um, to towards whatever challenge is thrown at us, which is uh, great. But we have the level of expertise in-house that we can achieve that. So it's just great to actually see that be tested and know that it's still there and it's still able to flex and still agile. It's fantastic. Um, but really that we can do so much, but then you should strengthen your voice with others in collaboration, as we have done. Yeah. We're working with other trade bodies throughout the crisis. So don't be afraid to collaborate. It's definitely there. But overall, data is king. If you want to win an argument on something, the data is absolutely king. So we really need to, we are, and we are, uh, monitoring, tracking, storing, presenting that data. Everything needs to be evidence-based now. As much as you can win hearts, you know, the minds, minds need the data. Yeah. And the decision makers want the figures. So, um, you know, that's something that's going to, that won't change. That agility will always need to be there. We always need to have the in-house expertise. We're going to have to always continue to collaborate and strengthen our partnership works to help echo our messages. But ultimately, we're always going to have to underpin it with the hardcore data. Yeah. And then what about you, you know, over the last couple of years? You know, what's your learnings been out of it? And, you know, being a CEO, being a leader of the business, you know, just how you go about your day, work-life balance, all these things. Was there any takeouts for you in that? Oh, listen, I was a newcomer to the industry. I'd only been post three months before the pandemic hit. So there are silver linings to the pandemic. And I know that that's a really tough thing to say, but it helped accelerate my membership relationship. So I had to get to know each other quickly. Yeah. They had to put their trust in me. That could have taken years to build up yeah. these relationships and trust, but it had to happen under pressure. So I think it helped me get to know the industry better and to build those relationships um, uh, with my members, but also with the stakeholders that were so crucial to the industry. We had to get to know each other and trust each other and, and work together as quickly as possible. 
So that's actually been something really, really useful to me. And as I say, you know, this is the next phase of my career as a CEO and um, learning my trade and working with other uh, CEOs and MDs. Um, people really top of their game and, and learning and growing from working with them. So, you know, sometimes, you know, it can be lonely at the top being a CEO, but actually I get this huge exposure to these fantastic and great business minds um, that really help uh, support one another and have learned to support each other even more in the industry. And that's why hospitality is such a great place to work um, because we really are supporting one another. So it's been great for me to, to actually have a lot of personal growth mm. um, and professional growth over this period of time. And I've met some and made some fantastic friends uh, over this period of time that I know will continue to uh, not only support me in my work, but also, you know, real friendships mm. that are going to stand the test of time. Yeah. And then being a woman in the boardroom and leading the company, you know, we don't have enough, you know, in terms of spread, balance, you know, I see it all the time at these shows where you've got manals rather than panels and all that sort of stuff, you know. So it's just, you know, it'd be really inspiring for a lot of people to just hear a little bit about, you know, any advice you would have for, you know, especially women in business who are wanting to accelerate their career and, and get to the top and also that might be feeling that they're hitting some kind of glass ceiling or it's never going to happen for them or, you know, for all these, you know, stupid various reasons. But it would be great to just hear a little bit about that, you know? Yeah, I think it is It is difficult. Um, I don't, never really thought about that. Some. I almost some wasn't going to ask you the question, honestly, like, because, I, you know, that way, because I just, I don't see you that way, but it just that it might be quite good, you know, for the listeners to... You know, just no, to hear, but, but yeah. a journalist once asked me, came in and she goes, oh, I want to do this interview about you being in a woman's in a man's world and why Whoa. you've always chosen to be a woman in a man's world. Mm. And it was never like premeditated mm. um, that I was going to do that. But of course, I worked in rugby and the rugby football union at the time was incredibly male dominated. Mm. The women's game wasn't even integrated at that moment in time. And it was really unusual that everyone was stunned when it was a, a young woman knocking on the door saying, I'm here to talk to you about rugby. You know, yeah. that still was a done thing. So, but I never really saw it as that because I always just wanted to work in areas that I cared about and was passionate about. Of course, politics is, is also a very male-dominated um, uh, arena. And so it is difficult there too. And it's the same challenge that we find as, uh, as being CEOs as well. Um, women really need to help other women and I'm very, very keen on doing that, is, you know, you get these trailblazers that get their way to the top and then they sit there and they want to be the queen bee. And the reality is, is that you need to really genuinely help other women on the way mm. to the top and not forget how difficult your journey's been. Um, but I, it wasn't, it wasn't, I'm not like a burning bra feminist, but I will definitely stand yeah. up and, and be proud to be a, a female leader. Um, it, but it's something that you just, I just get on with most of the time. Yeah. And I'm really proud of the BBPA. You know, we're, we're really leading um, our members in the journey of diversity, inclusivity and equity, and um, also making sure that we're reflecting that on our board. And, and I'm glad to say that, you know, we've got Gillian McLean from Drake and Morgan. Oh, yeah, oh, good. There. Yeah, 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 so... Um, the perception even maybe of our association is certainly being challenged and changed as well. We've got some phenomenal women in the industry and uh, it's great. We all connect and bounce off of one another and, and support one another, which is fantastic. But 
not to do down on gentlemen at all. I've got a phenomenal board and uh, they've been really supportive throughout all of the crisis and a new iteration of that now. And, and they can really help support women and are making sure that there are pathways for women too. So there's a role for women as leadership to do that, but there's definitely men out there that are championing us as well. Yeah, I think, um, see again? hats off to you then oh yeah <laughs> well i think um i, I think uh, yeah jillian's fantastic i used to uh, i was really lucky I, when i first started my consultancy uh or agency or whatever uh, i got to work on the drake and morgan brand a little bit with her and stuff like that so that was really fabulous you know she was i was always yeah. pretty in all of her you know i thought, thought she was fantastic and i work on other boards so with the ivers academy for example mm. we have more women now on the board yeah so it's just you know the world is slowly cottoning on that we need to change our representation yeah. And, you know, it's it's true for us in the industry as well. If we really say and claim, as we do, that we are at the heart of our communities, serving our communities, we need to reflect them within our workforce, within our workplaces, uh, and make sure everybody feels that they're welcome inside yeah. our organisations and inside our venues. And that's a challenge that we have to meet if we're going to survive in this 21st century. And also great to see across the three uh, main sort of trade organisations as well, right? It's two you know two for three it's you know so Actually, it's really <laughs> unusual maybe it's not <laughs> there's a lot of male dominated sectors that have women that are leading their trade associations and yeah. that i'm sure there is some uh, deliberation or whilst they're thinking about who is gonna who's gonna be their figurehead yeah. um but it is great it yeah. is great to see women at the top of their game and we're great communicators so it doesn't surprise me yeah. that we're at the top as spokespeople and ambassadors it really doesn't yeah. Ali, I can't wait to have Stephen on the, the podcast again and ask him, how do you feel being a man in a women's world? <laughs> he loves it. <laughs> oh, I bet he does, yeah. Okay, right. So last couple of things, because I'm only to let you go because you're crazy busy. Um, but I was just thinking about uh, people problems. So um, obviously it's a big issue right now. Latest stats are shown as it's around 400,000 now, 400,000 plus north of is just going to be announced of, of vacancies that we've got. Also, I saw another stat, which was actually 42% of people would like to leave hospitality, which is more than any other industry. So just fresh off a call on that this morning. Can, you know, it's, it's a, and, and it was great, John, it was John from UKH said, it's a toxic situation. And I just thought that's a great way to put it, you know, in terms of how bad this is for people to kind of wake up and, and see what's going on. So what's your experience of that? You know, what are your members telling you? And, you know, what, what's the pains that they're going through in terms of the people shortage right now? Yeah, I mean, listen, the people are at the heart of our businesses. They really genuinely are. But hospitality is hard work. It just is. We're in unsociable hours and people have had a bit of a break from that and have decided, actually, do I want to be putting in these hours? I think over time they'll miss it because you won't get the same buzz that you get from working in hospitality. It is a fun industry to work in. Teams really have this amazing connectivity um, and, and work so well together. And I really don't think you can replicate that in different sectors so um but it is something that we need to highlight that you know we need to sort of help improve the, the situation in our kitchens we've had a chef shortage for years and yeah. um, so what can we do as industry to improve their environments can we bring them out can we make them more seen than unseen mm. um make them receive some of their praise and be you know uh, that they are um feeding that back and, and and hearing that firsthand feeling part of the team mm. overall um, but this is something that we need to tackle for a very long time. And I'm so 
pleased that we finally got you, Mark, who is really firing on um, Hospitality Rising and giving us the vehicle that we need to say we value the people that we have in our industry. It's a phenomenal industry to work in. The reward and satisfaction you'll get from your work and a long career path that you can get that pays incredibly well yeah. um, in today's world. You know, we, you know, this is something that um, we, we desperately need this campaign. So I would encourage anybody that's not uh, signed up to Hospitality Rising on this uh, podcast listening in, please do check them out because this is something that's going to fundamentally change the way that people perceive hospitality. And I think that, that is something that will do us in good stead for the long haul. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, it's um, it's been a mate and an eye an eye opening experience <laughs> over the last year, sort of putting it together. You know, it's been uh, it's been I've just got into all these areas that I would never have got to know, which has been great to know more about hospitality and also meeting so many great people that I would never have got. You know, HRDs and you know other companies I would never have spoken to. We probably wouldn't have known each other that well. You know, it's it's just been brilliant. You know, so even as a bit of a hobby, it's just been, it's just been quite a nice experience, you know, to, to do it. So yeah, really hopeful we can raise the money and, you know, that superstar creative team that we can unleash and we're signing more creatives by the day, you know, we're getting real, some, some great world-class thinking on it. Um, just going down the track a little bit then. So once someone's joined, which is great. And you know, that's the part that we're trying to do. Once they then go in to the place of work, is there any thoughts about what, you know, operators could do or, you know, other organisations could do to kind of help the the initial 30 days, 90 days to make it better or, you know, the perception, the experience, you know, is there any thoughts about that, you know, from great employers that you know? Yeah, we've got phenomenal employers in the industry with great pathways. I think that they, the problem is the perception of industry is not being a secure role. So we need to change that perception that you can have a long-term career that is secure for in our sector uh, for the future. But, you know, when it comes to those pathways, they need to know where they can get and in what space and time. You know, if you follow this training program or our development program, you're going to be able to be the head manager in uh, a pub or you're going to be able to be, you know, um, a, uh, a BDM, um, or you'll be able to be, you know, head chef here and show them the pathways because we've got really enthusiastic young people that are really ambitious these days, really ambitious. Yeah. So we need to say, you know, you can start at the bottom, but you can get to the very top and you can do so faster in hospitality than you can in, in any other sector. Um, it's quite phenomenal. You can be running like two or three pubs, um, you know, before you're 30, yeah. if you if you're really good at what you do, and that is is phenomenal. Um, so there is so much skills that you can learn, and and the life skills, the social skills that people can learn in hospitality. So giving some kudos and value to those as well, um, and letting people feel comfortable and welcome in their environment. If you do that in the first 30 days, you know, set them on the right path, mm. give them the development plan, and. Uh, recognize them as part of your team and make them feel welcome i think that we'll be doing okay yeah i saw quite a few good examples um pano at prep for example he used 19 years from being assistant manager i think on the floor to being global ceo of prep and like no management school in the world would prep prep wouldn't have taken the degree you know they wouldn't have taken the mba or the extinction or yeah, distinction or whatever they took pano you know um and also there was um, a couple of others. I think I was reading the, the story about Corbin and King 
lately, and I think it was about Jeremy Corbyn, what he did, you know, in sort of moving from, you know, a great education type thing straight into restaurants, and then it was it was the way he wanted to do it, and he was owning, you know, running restaurants when he was 24 and all the, all the way up. But I think it is one of these points where you stack up, you know, a career in, you know, anywhere else, and you stack up the career with hospitality, and the, the money and the opportunities stack up really well. Um, so it's really exciting. And I remember Kenny Blair at um, Buzzworks, he, he was talking about a phrase which we might nick and use actually at some point mm. in the creative, but it was uh, start here, go anywhere. And and I really liked that as a thought. I thought, you know, I think we'll get to the career stuff. I think at the moment it's like shaking the tree and getting people in. But I thought that was such a, a, a great I thought. Love, yeah, I thought it was I brilliant. Love, yeah, it was brilliant. And every journey has to have that start. It has to have that beginning. Um, but you can make it your own. Mm. So, you know, understanding your staff, what they want to achieve, you know, making it personal to them, not just too formulaic. I think yeah. that's going to be the key, you know, because if you're going to invest money in them, you have to really understand that what they want to achieve professionally, personally, and what motivates them. And and then you'll be able to pick the right venue. So even within companies, you'll they'll go, you know, that 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 person was going to be best for this this pub over here or, or even that hotel over there yeah. um, because you you know them better yeah. and uh, don't just see them as, um, you know, an, a, another employee. Oh, it'll be really exciting. Okay, last few things then um, was a bit of fun. So we do, at the end of the podcast, we do market of 10. So it's just some questions about stuff you like. So best city to eat in? Oh, this is so tough. This is so <laughs> tough. <laughs> Um, in in Europe, it, I would say Brussels has more Michelin star restaurants than anywhere else. Does it? Um, yeah, oh. and um, I would probably you can't beat London, mm. but uh, you know you can't beat London. Yeah, no, it's definitely quite fun. And best restaurant? Oh, I really like Frog by Adam Handley. Oh yeah, what in Covent Garden? Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. I, I walked past it the other day uh, when I was in. I've never been in yet, but yeah, it's good. Oh, I highly recommend it. Uh-huh. But make sure you have enough time for it because you really want to enjoy every experience. Okay. Well, that's a good one then. I was quite surprised when I saw it. I didn't expect it to be Covent Garden for some reason. I don't know why. I just was like, wow, that looks cool. So that's cool. Um, okay. And uh, best dish or meal? What's your, your favourite go-to thing? Oh, I could say so much, but do you know what I have this? mean fish finger sandwich the other day <laughs> Brilliant. It, was, it was honestly it was amazing it was, it was so artisanal it was all homemade wow. at the Methuen Arms which is one of Buckham's pubs in Caution but yeah just for lunch you know a homemade fish yeah. finger sandwich it was yeah. incredible so McEwen McEwen Arms you said Methuen Methuen I know Methuen Arms. Ah, we can put a link into that in the, in the podcast <laughs> notes okay um, and I'm assuming you do drink alcohol um, best alcoholic drink what's your go to I've got too many and I could get myself in trouble picking them out but I'm going to pick one of my current favourites because uh-huh. I kind of go through phases yep. where something takes over but if you haven't tried the pineapple milkshake from Black Sheep it's going to blow your mind mm. it is a game changer pineapple milkshake amazing Interesting. and what is it an IPA yeah. it is a tropical IPA right. but it is incredible it's made with with milk with pineapple and a bit of some magic, but it is an absolute classic that they've just created with the innovation that perhaps some people don't think of with uh, some of our brewers. So yeah, check it out. Well, I, rem- out. I remember there was two good ones. There was uh, Cali by Tiny Rebel, I think was decent uh, in, in that pineapple way. And there was Not Into Yoga was a uh, Dark Star. 
and theirs was a pineapple. It almost tastes a little lilt. It was absolutely superb. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit of a dangerous. I can see how oh, you're in a different situation, Mark. <laughs> we, used to, we used to do a bit of branding and stuff like that for Dark Star years ago, and it was just so much fun, you know, with James, and that was great, you know. Right. Yeah, and it then, like a was a beer. Yeah. It's amazing. Check it out. Oh, I'm into it. That, that, definitely into that. Because I'm pineapple and pizza, so yeah, I'm into that. Um, <laughs> so, and, and who would you be taking out for a for a meal at this amazing place? Who would you be oh, going out with? Who would I take? Alive, dead, so celeb, whatever. Think about a celeb. Do you know what? I'm really, really sad, but um, I would love to take the Pope out. I would oh. love to sit and have dinner with the Pope and ask him questions about life, spirituality, how he views the world, I would, I would, I would go for him. Very yeah, good. Go, completely you, different. I'm sure he'd have a cheeky beer as well. Yeah, well, maybe wine. I guess wine. He could have wine, couldn't he? <laughs> sort of bread crackers <laughs> or whatever they do. He could bless any of it. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Very good. Excellent. Okay. Well, that's everything. Thank you so much for spending the time. It's been a nice sunny Friday afternoon chatting to you, and um, yeah. Just thanks for all the advice and information. And yeah, do check out BBP if you're not a member already. But I'll do a wee bit of a chat in the outro about that. So thank you so much. Happy weekend. And uh, see you soon, Emma. Thank you. Take care. So there we go. Thanks so much to Emma for giving up the time to talk on the podcast. I know how busy she is. So thanks so much. Thanks to you again for listening and also the great messages we get during the week and also the numbers are starting to creep up so we're really excited about the audience growing and there being more friends and more listeners to the show so please do tell your friends and your colleagues to tune in as much as they can. Massive thanks to Storekit and Saved by Robots for helping us and just helping support the podcast and making it all possible. Thanks to Gaz and Gabby for all that they do to make the podcast sound great and also edit it really well to make sure there's not any bad bloopers or some things we shouldn't say in there. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you. Thanks for listening. And I hope that this episode has brought you the real value, insight and information that you need to make your brand boom.